Good morning. Welcome to LifePoint today. Happy New Year. Hope your is your year is off to a great start. Well, if you're here for the first time today, thanks for coming, checking out LifePoint. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor. I would love to meet you after the service. Rob Perry, our site pastor here, and I will be down front. Love for you to come by and just say hello and tell us a little bit about what brought you here to LifePoint today. Well, we're continuing in a series called The Story. If you've missed any parts of this series, if you're new to our church, please go on our website, lifepointchurch.com slash the story, and you can watch past messages that'll get you caught up. You can listen to them, and there are a lot of other great resources on there that you can take part in that help, will help you catch up on this series that started in the book of Genesis, is going all the way through to the book of Revelation, focusing on the core stories of Scripture and how God has pursued the hearts of mankind since the beginning of time. Well, it's 2014, and whether you will admit it or not, you probably have set some goals. You probably have admitted to yourself you ate like a pig over the holidays, right? Oh, I ate like a pig. I'm going to drink a lot more water. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to carry around a water bottle, at least for the month of January, and work on that. Or maybe you said, I'm going to spend less money. I'm going to pull out the credit card less, and and I'm just going to spend less money. Or maybe you're one of the people who will be selling your exercise equipment in two months on Craigslist. Let me know. I'd like to have a treadmill. So when you get finished with yours and hanging the clothes in your bedroom, uh, let me know, and I'll take it. Maybe you have some relational goals that you would like to see achieved, or some bad habits that you would like to break or some new habits that you would like to begin, we tend to think about that right now at the beginning of the year. And we say, we're going to do this. It's going to work. I'm going to achieve this time. I'm going to stop doing this or start doing that. But for some reason, long about, I don't know, it starts getting warm and days get longer. You think, what was it I said I was going to do? And we get off track. Today's story is about a guy who really got off track in life. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep, or you can borrow it and leave it in the back on the way out. You can also just take a look at the screen. All the scriptures are up there as well. We're to the point in the story where a guy named David has been king for several decades. He was anointed or appointed king as a young man, and he had to wait 20 years to get to become king. He exercised great restraint in his waiting, and he won up every battle he got in. And it seems like David is one of those people, you know, that we all kind of dislike, but we all know one, that they seem, they win at everything. Everything they do works. Every decision they make seems to be a good one. So here's this King David, who's called a man after God's own heart, who got himself appointed as king over the nation of Israel, exercising his leadership in the nation of Israel. And we're going to pick up his story today in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is what it says. In the, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And we're getting ready to look at the life story of a man who, at the end of his life, it says, David died and was buried with his ancestors. That was a very respectable thing to have happen. He died, was buried in his hometown with his ancestors. 
Now, his story began when he was a little boy, and this prophet came and anointed him on behalf of God as king of Israel. We're going to look at the story of what took place in between that time. Because as we read, David is getting ready to make some decisions that's going to alter what God would have him do. That's going to change the course of his life. That's going to affect innocent people. That's probably going to cause him regret and consequences that he had to deal with for the rest of his days. All because of a decision that's recorded in 2 Samuel Chapter 11, the next verse says, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So here's what happens. David sleeps with a woman that's not his wife. He's already got a bunch of wives. By this time, David had already not listened to God when God says, don't have many wives. It'll pull your heart away from me. He did it anyway. He's got a bunch of wives. He sees this other woman that he likes, thinks she's good looking. Doesn't matter that she's married, brings her up. They have sex. She gets pregnant. And then this cover-up starts because her husband, Uriah, is one of the soldiers in David's army. So David comes up with this idea. Well, I'll just get Uriah to come in from the front lines. I'll get him drunk and he'll sleep with his wife. A couple months, he'll start to see her belly swell. He'll think he got her pregnant and nobody will be wise to what we did that night when I saw her from my rooftop in the city. And so he comes home, David gets him drunk and he's so loyal to his king He says, no, king, I'm not going to go with my wife. I'm going to lay right here in your front door because I want to protect you. So that didn't work. So David thinks, well, I got to ratchet this up a little bit. So I'm going to do something more. So he decides, Uriah, you go back out to the front lines. And he tells the, the other generals, look, while he's out on the front line, I want you to pull back. And so he'll be killed. And that's what happened. And Uriah died. And then David takes Bathsheba and the child into his home. He marries her. She becomes his wife. And he thinks it's all covered up. David looks good. He looks like he's taken in this woman who is now a widow. And he thinks, oh, I dodged a bullet. Nobody knows. Nobody heard. We can learn a lot from that quick story into the life of David. How he got off track. How he could have stayed on track. You know, when we're, we're sitting here at the beginning of the year, a brand new start, a fresh start, and even if you're one of those people who say, I don't set resolutions, and you're you know, not like the rest of us who do, maybe you don't do it in January, but you do it. You set goals. You want something to change. You want something to be different. You want to make better choices. What you're really doing is setting up boundaries and deciding what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. And on the rooftop that day, David had a choice. He knew what the boundaries were. He knew he's not supposed to look. He didn't walk out there and go, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I'm not supposed to sleep with a woman that's not my wife. I wasn't aware of that. When did that start? He knew what the boundaries were. He knew what he was supposed to do and not supposed to do. He just chose to break through the boundary and go down the path he went down. Now, when it comes to boundaries, we need them. 
We need them in life. And it's simple, simply put, a boundary is just it's determining what I will or will not do in a given situation. That's what a boundary is. You followed and stayed within some boundaries driving here today. You drove on the right-hand side of the road, I hope. You're here, so you obviously did. So you stayed within the boundaries. When you're raising your kids, you give them boundaries. You tell them what they should do, what they shouldn't do, how they should act, where they should go, where they shouldn't go. And you hope they stay within those boundaries. If you have a dog, like we got rules for our dog, at least when I'm there. She will not go upstairs. When I'm not there, I know she does. She's not supposed to go upstairs. That's a rule. She's not supposed to relieve herself in the neighbor's yard. That's a rule. They say dogs aren't supposed to eat chocolate because it'll kill them, but it won't. I've, I, like, here, have an M&M. Let's see how it's going. Take this, Zoe. It doesn't work. They'll live. They can eat chocolate. Boundaries are healthy. Boundaries help us. Aren't you glad that we have the boundary that says we cover up our naked bodies with clothes? That's a good boundary. I'm glad. Makes the day a lot better today. David did not obey the boundaries that he knew were set up. He knew what they were, but he chose to disobey them and break through them anyway. He knew he was supposed to be out to war in the spring, but he stayed at home. He knew what he might see on the edge of the ledge of his patio as he was looking out into the city. But he made a set of choices and tried to cover it all up. How could that happen to a man who was chosen by God? Who, up until that point in his life, everything was for God. Everything was from God. David would tell stories about killing lions and bears with his bare hands. And instead of saying, well, I'm strong, that's how I did it. He would say, God delivered me. And God did it. David, this is the same David that defeated the, Goliath, the giant Goliath who was over nine feet tall with a slingshot and a stone. And David didn't say, well, it's because I'm a good shot. That's why I got him. He would say, because God himself gave me the strength and delivered me. So how could a man who had that much faith, that much strength, that much power of God within him blow it? Because he saw a pretty woman taking a bath. How could he do that? How could he let that happen? It's because he forgot the source of his strength. He forgot where fulfillment came from. He forgot where the real power in life comes. And he forgot that God had set up boundaries in his life just like he does in ours that will keep us safe. If you're taking notes, and if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. Healthy boundaries reduce regret. And that's what we learn from this story, that if I have healthy boundaries, it's going to reduce the amount of regret I deal with in life. Now at this point, we can stop and observe a few things about this story. A couple of pieces of advice I think David would probably give to us if he could speak to us and say, hey... Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to stay away 
from what you know is wrong. See, he didn't. He made a choice to get right up to the edge. The way the architecture would have looked in that time is the king's palace would have been higher than any other structure in the city. And so when he got up on the top floor, which is where his bedroom would have been, and he walked out onto what we would call a patio, it was the roof of his palace, it would have been this really long palace, maybe as long as this room, long patio. And so for him to see someone taking a bath down below, he would have had to walk all the way out to the edge and look around. What is it about our human nature that when we know where the edge is, we go to it? I know that's the edge, so I'm going to walk right here as close as I can to it and just kind of straddle because it's more fun over here. There's a lot more fun that takes place. I want to be over there where the boring people are. I want to be right here on the edge where it's a lot of fun. Here's the problem with living life right on the ledge like David was that day. If you make a mistake and you fall and you're on the edge, guess what? You're going down. But what if you choose to live your life within the healthy boundaries that God has set up for us that clearly shows us how we can live the life that he calls us to, that clearly show us how we can have a full life? If we live within that, And we stay away the best we can from that which is wrong, like David would tell us. Then if we fall, like we will. Then when we make mistakes, like we will. Then when we make a decision to do the wrong thing, like we do. Then the fall is not going to leave such a line of regret behind us. That's what David would say. Stay off the ledge. Stop getting right up to the edge. For 12 years, I did college ministry, loved working with college kids. I found Christ in college, love helping kids find Christ in college. But the number one question, no exaggeration, college kids in a dating relationship, Donnie, let us know how far is too far to go sexually? And I finally got tired of the conversation. I just said, well, how far away from God do you want to get? That's what you need to think about because don't live on the edge. You're not strong enough to do that. Back up away from that which could really hurt you if you fall. Later as an old man, after David had lived through this episode, after he had been living with many years of the, with the consequences that came from this action, he wrote these words. In Psalm 101, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. You know, it may surprise some of you to know this, but used to, the internet was not a necessity in life. You could live without it. You didn't need it. Uh, Unless you want to pay 40 bucks a month for slow dial-up, what would you need? It was kind of a novelty. And I can remember, this was like 20 years ago. It was a a big deal. But then, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it starts to get used for things it was never intended. To allow people to view things they should never be looking at. And I can remember getting with a group of guys and a couple of them were really struggling. And every guy's tempted with looking at things they shouldn't look at. If he's not tempted, if he's not saying he's tempted, he's not telling the truth. Everybody's tempted by that. That should make some very interesting conversations around the dinner table, right? Sorry about that. But, but it's true. It's true. So everybody's tempted. And I can remember a group of guys, we got together. And that's when you had like a 200-pound monitor. They were heavy, you know. And you, you couldn't carry your computer around. It was at home. It was on a desk. And so right on my desk... On my monitor, I would put this, I put this verse and it was taped up there for years. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. And anytime I would feel temptation, right there's what I would see. 
And I can remember the guys talking about it like, yeah, looking at that verse really makes a difference when I get on the edge, when I'm about to go somewhere I shouldn't go and look at something I shouldn't look at. Some of you, in a crowd this size, you are standing on the edge of making a really bad decision. A decision that's going to change the course of your life. A decision that's going to affect innocent people. All because you're getting right up to the edge. And you think it looks as good as this beautiful woman taking a bath. But you're not thinking about the consequences. And David would say, if you know it's wrong, stop it. Walk away. So what is your boundary? What's your boundary when it comes to spending money? What is your boundary when it comes to how you interact with the opposite sex? What is your boundary when it comes to to issues that you deal with? Whatever it is, get back away from it. David thought he covered everything up. But he would tell us, when you get near something like that, get away from it. David would also say, listen to people who care about you. See, David calls a friend to go get her. Remember, he said, hey, go find out who that is. And his friend responds, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, in that culture, when you would talk about genealogy, you would never mention the spouse. If someone were to mention my wife, they would say, isn't that Cinda, the daughter of David? They wouldn't say, and the husband of Donnie or the wife of Donnie. They wouldn't say that. But this guy added that in as if to say, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife, are you listening to me, the wife, capital wife, of Uriah the Hittite? His friend was trying to tell him, David, you don't understand. This is a married woman. Just a general rule. If you see a woman taking a bath that's not your wife, go the other direction. You've been warned. You've been told, okay? Go the other way. Get away from it. But David would say, listen to people, people who love you when they try to tell you, don't. Watch out. Stop. Be careful. You're about to make a bad decision. Kids, listen to your parents. Listen to people who you know love you. Parents, sometimes we need to take a listen to our kids because they love us and they want what's best for us too. That advice from King David will keep you from mounds of regret. So a year, a whole year goes by in the life of David. And he's living this new life with Bathsheba as his wife and this child. And he thinks it's all covered up and behind him. And then this prophet shows up. Prophets were very interesting people. And if a prophet shows up, it's never good news. It's usually like you're in trouble. So this prophet shows up. And he wants to tell David a story, which David should have thought, "Uh uh-oh, prophet telling me a story, this may not be good. So he tells him a story about a rich man and a poor man. The poor man had one little lamb, one little sheep. The rich man had a whole bunch of sheep. The rich man had guests over, so he went to the poor man, took his sheep, slaughtered it, killed it, and fed it to his guests. So David hears that story. And his first reaction to that story is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he says this, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. 
He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. So David has no problem looking at other people who are crossing the line, who are having difficulties in life, and maybe his conscience was seared by then over what he did because he's upset that somebody did that. And then Nathan, with all the finesse that a prophet has, quickly turns it. When David says, he needs to die, the next word's out of Nathan's mouth, you are the man. You're that man that took what one guy had and took it for your own. You're the one. And then, this idea that healthy boundaries reduce regret becomes real in David's life. Because what if he hadn't stepped out on the ledge? What if he had said, you know, there's a woman over there taking a bath. I need to stay back. I don't need to get too close. I mean, at the point when he was out there, he's scanning around. Oh, woman taking a bath. He just kept looking. He didn't do anything wrong. It's when he stopped and he kept looking. He devised a plan and he acted on it. That's where the sin, that's where breaking through the boundaries came into his life. Healthy boundaries will reduce regret. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. So when it all came down and David stopped hiding, look what happened. Now I'm sure David had this idea that I've sinned against the Lord, but and then he was going to say something. It just seems like I've sinned against the Lord and I'll never do it again. I'm really sorry. What do I need to do to make up for it? Like would be on our lips if we did something really bad. But before he get a, gets a chance to say that, this prophet immediately like snap, the Lord has taken away your sin. As soon as David acknowledged his sin, it was taken away. There was no, hey, go do five of these and call me in the morning. There was no, hey, go do this ritualistic thing for this amount of time, or, uh, you know, don't do this anymore, and then maybe God will forgive you. None of that. David acknowledged his sin, God forgave his sin. That's the same thing that will happen for us when we make mistakes. Acknowledge, God, I made a mistake, forgiven. That's how fast it comes. That's how full of grace and love and mercy our God is. No begging, no rituals, just a broken heart and a loving God. That's what this story of David reveals to us. You need to know that. I need to know that. If you don't, I do, because I make mistakes. I mess up, and you probably do too. And you need the radical forgiveness that awaits all who come for it. And David figured that out. God let him continue to be king anyway. When you mess up, the same applies to you. Well, you can't be king, but you can be forgiven. God still forgives. And then David's choice was, am I going to wallow in my self-pity? Am I going to wallow in my mistake? Or am I going to move on? And he chose to move on. See, boundaries are not why a person is forgiven. Boundaries are not what make us acceptable before God. Boundaries are not what makes God look at us and say, oh, I love them. They do such a great job staying in the boundaries I've set up. They're perfect. 
I love them. That's not what boundaries are. They don't make God love you more. They don't make him accept you more. They merely serve as an earthly guide to reduce regret. That's what boundaries or rules or laws, whatever you call them, that's what they're for. Reduce regret by staying in the boundaries, the moral boundaries that God has set for us. I've watched people, and it's really important when you make a mistake to understand wallowing in regret is not what God would have anybody do and guilt and pain. That's not what God wants for you. When people understand the depths of forgiveness that come when they mess up, they do a better job at staying within boundaries than people who don't understand it and refuse to forgive themselves and choose to walk in guilt. Forgiveness, accepting God's forgiveness will keep you inside any boundary you need to be in better than all lists, everything you can make, do this, don't do that. God's love, forgiveness, and grace will keep you where you need to be better than guilt, better than regret, and better than living in it. So you have probably made some decisions that in 2014, things are going to be different. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm just going to guess that some of you have said, well, I'm going to set up some boundaries for my diet in 2014. You have. You have. You know you have. I see, I already see somebody doing that. Either set them up or, you know, hey, I know you did that. Why do you do that? Well, hey, in four months, we're all going to be going to the beach and the body's got to look a little better. It's got to be a little less of it. Got to be proportioned a little bit differently when it comes time to go to the beach. But you don't take care of your body so it looks sexier. You take care of your body because it's where the Holy Spirit dwells. It's where God is. It's the vessel God has given us to live in to point people towards Him. That's why you take care of your body. That's why you don't do things to it, to harm it, to make it last less longer than it could. It's because God dwells there. And God wants you to use this body to bring recognition to Him. You may have, if you're in a dating relationship, you may have some physical boundaries where you've said, okay, this year's going to be different. Uh, I'm going to set up some physical boundaries. Uh, And you don't set up physical boundaries in dating relationships because it makes you a better person or because you feel less guilt or you feel better about yourself if you don't just give your body away over and over again. That's all true. But you set up physical boundaries in a dating relationship because sex is holy and it's reserved for husband and wife. And your purity is for that person that you end up marrying. Stay in that boundary, not because you're strong, but because God is strong and he, he will keep you pure. And if you do step across the line, he will renew your purity. He will forgive you. But if you set up that boundary, not with the idea that, look how I am, look what I didn't do. I didn't do it. If you set it up for that reason, you're not going to make it. But if you set it up for, you know what? My body's to glorify God. He's got a purpose for physical activity between a man and a woman. And I'm going to do what he asked me to do because of that. Maybe you set up some financial boundaries. You said, okay, this year, honey, we are not spending as much money. You've, I know you've had that conversation. We're not going to use the credit card as much. Here's our plan to get out of debt. You don't set up financial boundaries just to get out of debt. 
although it does help you get out and stay out of debt. You don't set up spending boundaries just so you can say, hey, I have less and I live on less. Financial boundaries are valuable because it orients your heart towards that which is eternal. That's why you want to set up financial boundaries and material boundaries that keep us from just getting, 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 acquiring more and more and more. The boundaries are because when we do all that, it pulls our heart away from the eternal. So whatever your boundaries are, whatever your goals are, whatever things you want to change and make different, just remember, healthy boundaries reduce regret. And those healthy boundaries in the right purpose for the right reasons will keep your life going in a direction that will reduce the amount of regret that you have to deal with. But still, we all mess up. Still, we all make mistakes. We're still going to bust through our boundaries. You're still going to eat what you shouldn't eat. You're still going to spend what you shouldn't spend. You're still going to end up doing things you wish you hadn't done. That's just human nature. We can't keep from it because we live in a broken world. So what do you do when that happens? What if you're, you're already living in guilt? Well, what did David do? Instead of remembering and playing in his mind over and over and over again what he did that was wrong, you know what he chose to focus on? God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's mercy. And half the book of Psalms in the Old Testament was written out of this broken heart who had made mistakes. Listen to what he says in Psalm 103, verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. And then probably the most famous psalm that was ever written. It's been used for centuries to bring comfort and hope. Psalm 23 from the message version says this, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Now that comes from a guy who lied, who committed adultery and murder. That comes from a guy who did all of that. And still he could look to God and say, God, you've removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. He could still enjoy the grace and forgiveness of God. We can too. But we don't need some prophet coming and telling us about it. Today we have Jesus, who was the prophet of all prophets, who always forgives us when we mess up. One of the New Testament writers was struggling in his life with, his name was the Apostle Paul, and he was struggling with sin. He was saying, I end up doing what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't get to do it. Kind of the way you'll be around February or March. You know, I didn't do what I wanted to do. Well, what I wanted to do, I didn't do. And he was struggling with that back and forth, back and forth. And he ends this talk where he's sharing with a church of people that, that inner struggle that he was dealing with. And he ends it with this in Romans 7. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the answer. There's why you have boundaries. There's why you don't live on the ledge. 
There's why when you do fall over and you do make a mistake, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. If you want to know how He can be your answer, Rob or I would love to talk to you after the service. Just come up and let us know. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story of David that gives us guidance and hope and direction. And God, as we look out at a new year and we've set goals and and made plans, may we know how to live within the boundaries that will keep us safe. God, help us live in a way that minimizes our regret. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.